COVID numbers are still on the rise. Taiwan reported 3,766 local infections on Friday, an increase of 26 percent from the day before. New Taipei reported the highest number of cases at 1,325, followed by Taipei with 739 and Taoyuan with 588. Taiwan also added 11 cases with moderate symptoms and one with severe symptoms. Let's hear from the health minister. From January to today, we have had a total of 18,510 local COVID cases. Of them, 18,436 cases, or 99.6%, developed mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. 0.37% developed moderate symptoms, and 0.03% developed severe symptoms. Today, there were 11 moderate cases, and they were all on the older side. Half of them were unvaccinated, so I urge older adults to get vaccinated as soon as possible. The CECC also announced a visit ban at long-term care facilities and hospitals in Taipei, New Taipei, Jilong, Taoyuan, Kaohsiung, and Hualien. It also said that more than 1.23 million rapid tests would be released into the market before Sunday to relieve the shortage. Authorities say 10 million rapid tests are scheduled to arrive in Taiwan by the end of the month. Junior and senior high schools in Taipei will be going online for a one-week trial run starting Monday. The sudden announcement on Friday caught many students and parents off guard, with many saying that the change was too abrupt. Nearby New Taipei and Jilong say they have no plans to follow suit. A student hurriedly packs textbooks and workbooks into her bag. Another stuffs her belongings into a cardboard box. Elsewhere, students are busy cleaning. Taipei on Friday announced that starting Monday, junior and senior high schools in the city will go online for a week as a trial. The sudden news caught many students and parents unprepared. Being suddenly told that in-person classes will be cancelled for a week, personally, I'm afraid of how effective online classes will be. The teacher informed me and now I need to take time off from work. After this brief period of online classes is over, we'll need to bring all the books back to the classroom. That will be a bit inconvenient. Junior and senior high school teachers and students won't need to travel to school for a week. Elementary schools will not be going online, as parents could have trouble taking time off work to care for the kids at home. With high school entrance exams coming up next month, schools will be given flexibility to decide what to do with their grade 9 classes. If schools need to hold classes online or hold classes in person, we will respect the school's handling of this matter. Taipei is going online, but nearby New Taipei and Jilong say they won't be following suit. Currently, in terms of student infections and class cancellations, things are very stable in Jilong. Most of the new student infections are in elementary schools. New Taipei says it will continue to follow CECC regulations on class closures. Already, 584 schools have closed nationwide due to COVID. Local governments are scrambling to find ways to minimize the impact of the pandemic on children's right to an education. The CECC's extended vaccine mandate took effect on Friday, making boosters compulsory for gym goers and people traveling in tour groups. Gyms are now required to check the vaccination status of their patrons who will not be allowed in unless they've had a booster. 
Exemptions will be granted to gym goers who've received their second dose of COVID vaccine no more than 12 weeks earlier. Some gym operators complain that the mandate is unfair, saying that the new rules do not apply to other exercise venues, such as swimming pools and aerobic studios. Showing off her yellow card with a booster shot, this woman is amped to get back into the gym. A new regulation from the CECC that took effect Friday requires all gyms, including school gyms and public gyms, to check for proof of full vaccination upon entry. With a vaccination card, health card or the health ministry's mobile app, it's a quick process to show your vaccination status. To be allowed into the gym, patrons must show they have had their second shot less than 12 weeks ago or have received a booster. Those without the right number of shots will need a doctor's note proving that they've had a negative COVID test within the past three days. So you won't get infected if you've had the vaccine? If that could be proven, I'd get my shot right away, but you can't prove that. So you must have a vaccine to go exercise, but you don't need to be vaccinated to eat out. So why do you need to take a vaccine to work out at the gym? Lots of my students have spoken out about this. They feel like the government's not implementing good policies because they still need to pay their monthly gym fees. One gym operator feels a new policy lacks comprehensiveness, saying that aerobic studios, pools and saunas are not subject to the same controls. The government says regulations will be reviewed on a rolling basis. We will follow the regulations announced last night. We will accord with the rules. But will the sports administration take the opinions of businesses into consideration in their rolling review? We will need to wait for their decision to know. The new vaccine policy will apply to gym goers as well as the workers of 24 types of venues. Participants in religious processions and tour groups will also need to be fully vaccinated starting Friday. COVID patients isolating at home can get Western medicine, but they can also go for traditional Chinese medicine. Since April 18th, an herbal formula for COVID-19 called NRICM101 has been made available for patients who requested and is partly subsidized by the government. The prescription can be picked up by a friend or family member at a local dispensary. However, patients are advised to consult a practitioner before buying the formula to ensure the best effects. Indigo woad root and fish mint are just two of the 10 ingredients in NRICM 101, a traditional Chinese medicine formula that on April 18th became available to mild COVID patients isolating at home. All they have to do is have an online consultation with a doctor. The treatment is partially subsidized by the government. Originally, the subsidies for NRICM 101 were only available at specialized COVID wards in hospitals and at quarantine centers. Now, the availability has broadened to include COVID patients isolating at home. Experiencing mild symptoms can be like the cough you get with a cold. It's mainly symptoms of the upper respiratory tract. The powder formula can be taken three times a day over a period of 10 days to relieve mild symptoms. It can also be used to prevent symptoms by taking it once a day. Prescriptions for preventative use can be obtained at more than 1,000 traditional Chinese medicine clinics or through online consultations. In these situations, buyers must pay the cost in full. There are some industries where workers are in contact with strangers every day. 
these workers are at higher risk of infection. So I think taking this formula preemptively can definitely make a difference, but still, it should be taken after assessment by a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. You can get a relative or a friend to pick up the prescription on your behalf. In that case, you can pay in cash or via bank transfer. COVID infections are on the rise and more than 10,000 people have been diagnosed with mild symptoms. Traditional Chinese medicine practitioners advise the public to not try to mix formulas without professional advice as effects may differ between patients. They say it's best to check with a practitioner to avoid spending money in vain. We now take you to a quiet corner in Jilong where a historic gem lies largely forgotten by the general public. That would be Shishu Reservoir in Jilong's Nuanuan district. Completed in 1926, the dam had served the people of Jilong as their primary water source for decades before a bigger dam rendered it less significant. Today, its pristine waters and stunning mountain views make it a one-of-a-kind scenic spot. Let's go for a visit. Looking down from high above, this reservoir and the greenery surrounding it make for a magnificent sight. This is Jilung's Shisa Reservoir. It was once the city's primary source of water. It was also the country's very first reservoir of its kind. This is the first reservoir designated specifically for household use. As the city developed and its population grew, its original water storage capacity became insufficient and another water source had to be added. To expand the water supply, city authorities built the Shisa Reservoir, which came into use in 1926. This concrete gravity dam measures 29.6 metres high and 102.4 metres long, and it supplies the Nuan Nuan and Renai districts. Although it now serves only as a backup reservoir, the Taiwan Water Corporation still sends personnel to patrol the grounds to ensure that the water stays unspoiled. We need to make two rounds, one at 10 in the morning and another at 2 in the afternoon. Not far from the Shisa Reservoir is a pumping station, a water purification plant with even longer histories. Before the reservoir was built, stream water was drawn from a weir at the bottom right of the pumping station and then sent to the water purification plant on the other side. Water processed by the plant was then supplied for public use. The plant and the station are listed as historic buildings by the Jilung city government. This is Taiwan's first plant with a comprehensive water treatment system. It was opened in 1902 and the pumping station was opened in 1908. Later on, due to other developments, they were retired in 1954 after decades of service. Today, the Shisa Reservoir and its infrastructure are no longer the mainstay of Jilong's water supply. The majestic dam and its pristine mountain environment are now a mecca for photographers from far and wide. Train services will come to almost a standstill on Labor Day as workers protest against a government proposal to corporatize the Taiwan Railways Administration. The Transport Ministry says it has made arrangements for alternative transport for about 358,000 passengers. They include additional intercity coach buses and high-speed rail services, as well as replacement buses at the local level. This is 
Taiwan Railway Labor Union has called on TRA employees to not go to work on May 1st, Labor Day, which will essentially paralyze all railroad transport. Transport Minister Wang Guotsai has apologized for any future inconvenience while launching response measures. He also called on the union to reconsider. You are telling TRA passengers to take road transport or the high-speed rail. You're driving passengers away. You know that, right? I call on the union to pay a little more attention to this. Let's not hurt our loyal passengers. The protest could leave more than 358,000 passengers without transport. The transport ministry says intercity transport services such as the high-speed rail and coach buses will ramp up services to make up for 62% of the shortfall. The remaining 38% will be made up by local transport options such as mass rapid transit and local buses. The ministry says it will also arrange rail replacement bus services that follow the route of TRA lines and stop at every station. Many bus shuttle services will be available at smaller stations. The fares for train replacement bus services will be paid at the station. We'll generally ask passengers to use electronic payment methods. The fares will be the same as our local or local express services. The replacement bus services will be handled by about 400 to 500 buses in each direction. That will increase traffic on National Freeway No. 5 by between 4% and 10%. A similar protest took place in 1988 when more than 1,000 train drivers held a Labor Day strike. This time around, if no arrangements are reached with TRA, further strikes could take place over the Dragon Boat Festival and even the Mid-Autumn Festival. President Tsai Ing-wen on Friday conferred pardon on two former army officials sentenced for misappropriating 2,880 NT from a bonus payment for troops in 2015. They are former chief of the general staff at the Army Huadong Defense Command, Han Yuping, and administrative staff, Zhang Yusen. They were sentenced earlier this year to serve prison terms of four years and six months and one year, respectively. Let's hear from Han what he had to say. Thank you, Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces, President Tsai Ing-wen, and legislators Liu Shifeng, Guan Biling, Lin Jingyi, Cai Shiying, Zheng Zhengqian, Chen Yixing, Lin Siming, Tong Huizhen, and Wu Bingrui. I may have to study the legal process again with a lawyer. Is this the end? If there are any fellow nationals who have been wronged, I hope they will receive legal and fair treatment. What I hope for is that our Ministry of National Defense can think about what exactly is the purpose of the bonus money. Since Major General Han has already been granted a special pardon, I hope that the Veteran Affairs Council can reinstate his status, including his full pension, and not keep deducting it at will. In a statement, the presidential office said Han and Zhang had not misappropriated public funds for personal use, stressing that the incident had come about due to faulty administrative procedures. It added that the punishments against the two had been disproportionate with their actions and that the pardon was granted in accordance with the law. State-run oil refiner CPC Corporation has activated price stabilization measures amid a surge in international oil prices fueled by an EU plan to phase out Russian oil imports. Prices of both gasoline and diesel are expected to go down by 0.3 NT per liter on Monday. Without the measures, prices would have seen a rise of 3.5 NT per liter for gasoline and 4.9 NT for diesel. That means 92 unleaded will drop to 30.5 NT per liter, 
95 unleaded to 32 NT and 98 unleaded to 34 NT. CPC says that its price stabilization measures have resulted in accumulated losses of more than 62 billion NT as of the end of March. That amounts to about half the capital investments of 130 billion NT. Elias Ek from Sweden has lived in Taiwan for 22 years. During the pandemic, he spotted a promising business opportunity. He developed an electric bike specially for food delivery workers. Along with two friends from Ireland and the U.S., he started up a business that is taking aim at the international market. Likey! Elias Ek from Sweden zips down the streets of Taipei on a bike. But this is not your ordinary bike. Apart from having storage racks fitted on it, it has been carefully modified to withstand a 65kg load. There are also two batteries attached to the seat post to give a boost in speed. From the style and the color of the model, every detail is carefully thought out. Not only does Ek communicate with his employees in English, he is also very fluent in Chinese. When I first arrived in Taiwan, I did not know any Chinese, not a single word. One can really create a very comfortable life here. Everyone here is extremely nice, so I really enjoy living here. Ek married a Taiwanese woman when he was 27 years old and has been here in Taiwan for 22 years. Two years ago, he realized there was a rising need for delivery services due to the pandemic. So he and two friends pulled together 9 million NT and started up a business. Taiwan 63% of the world's bicycles are made in Taiwan, so this is the best industry to be in over here. No matter what resources or services we need, we can find it in Taiwan. Ek is in charge of sales at the e-bike company, while his friends Philip Corey and Bob Tsai are responsible for product research and production. Within a month after launching their product, they received first-round financing of 700,000 US dollars. Sales teams from over 20 countries contacted them for collaboration. Delivery workers can make around 250 NT per hour, but if they are riding scooters, they have to pay 50 NT for gas. They have to spend 20% of their pay on their scooters. Their cost would be much lower if they used an electric bike instead. Ek is taking aim at the international market. He also wants to promote his electric bike within Taiwan, his adopted homeland. Taiwan number one! Food couriers have become an integral part of Taiwan's urban landscapes. These gig workers zip down streets and alleys, picking up takeout and dropping it off as fast as they can, rain or shine. Today we meet someone who's worked as a food courier for four years. He says he likes the pay and the flexible hours, which leave him time to run his beverage shop. Let's see what life looks like in the gig economy. 
This is Xu Jingwei. He works part-time as a food delivery driver. Four years ago, he noticed food couriers crisscrossing the streets, apparently making a decent living. So he decided to give it a try. On average, I do this about six hours a day. This work accounts for a pretty important part of my income. It brings in 40,000 to 50,000 NT. I've been doing this for about four years now, and basically it's a very stable, quite good part-time job. The job accounts for about 50% of his overall income, but being a food courier isn't as easy as it looks. It's a tough slog on rainy days especially, when he rides soaking wet from head to toe, right down to his underclothes. But, he says, the harder you work, the greater the payoff. Not only that, this is a job with flexible hours. That means he has time for his other pursuit. It's not a situation where you're tied to an employer and you need to go into the office for a set number of hours. If you can't sleep and go out for a late night snack, you can pick up a delivery order while you're out. No problem. This is a job with lots of freedom. When he's not making deliveries, he tosses on a white shirt and heads to his other job as the boss of a beverage shop. From sorting the products to checking the sales reports, there is no shortage of things to do. I hope to someday make investments and buy property. I want to see if I can work hard enough to buy a house in Xinyi district. That's a considerable challenge, so I need to work harder and be more diligent than other people if I want even the slightest chance at success. He keeps himself busy from day to night, braving the sun and the rain. He's one of many young couriers who are hustling hard in hopes of building a brighter future. Miali residents recently discovered a pair of surprise guests on their farmland, two leopard cat cubs. They took the animals home and notified the Department of Agriculture. Department officials brought the cubs back to their original location and waited for their mother to come looking for them. The department stated that sometimes leopard cat mothers will forage for food and return. Following two nights with no sign of her, officials brought the cubs to the Endemic Species Research Institute. The cubs will be cared for by institute staff until they are self-sufficient and can return to the wild.